So I uh, conducted an experiment this week where I went to uh, different restaurants <clears throat> by myself and sat in a booth and creepily stared at people. Uh, but, but here's my goal. I wanted to know how many people could actually have a legitimate conversation without technical interruption. And so I wanted to know how many people would actually communicate and uh, not be distracted by their phone or not be hopping on the face box or, you know, looking at their smartwatch every two seconds. And I, you probably can guess the results were not particularly encouraging. Uh, one of the restaurants, the two guys came in, it looked like they worked together. They were in the same kind of polo shirt and sat after ordering, sat down, literally didn't talk the entire time they were there. Just ate their chicken strips and looked at scores or something on their phone. A lot of scrolling was happening. But uh, then I went to uh, another restaurant later on in the week and came across a man and a woman sitting side by side in a booth. Which, can we just agree, that's already super annoying? Like, why are you not sitting across from one another? Like, it's like when you're in high school and you have a truck with a bench seat and you've got to sit by each other. Like... Where are they going to go? I mean, sit on your side. You know, anyway. Uh, so they were side by side instead of across from each other, as you should be. And uh, again, no talking. They both had their phones and were just doing this the entire time. Literally didn't say a word. Uh, well, at the very end, the guy did say, you ready? Like that, I mean, congratulations, sir, not even a grammatically correct sentence. You ready? Yeah, I guess so. But here's my point. We live in a world where it's easy to be in proximity alongside each other and not present with each other. Uh, We do a lot of life around one another, and we very rarely interact with each other. And if you're a parent of a teenager, you notice this every single day. Because when your teenage kids get together at their house with their friends, they sit together on the couch and start texting and Snapchatting, not to somebody out in the world, but each other, sitting side by side, like just open your mouth and talk to one another, not possible. In fact, an MIT professor picked up on this. He asked students, what's wrong with having actual conversation? And their response was, I quote, What's wrong is it takes place in real time and you can't control what you're going to say. Yeah, that's how conversation works. That's how speaking works. Uh, But I'm assuming what they meant by that is they'd rather have control and be able to have their little one side of the conversation when they're relaxed and they can edit it so they can have this produced uh, one-sided exchange. Uh, And they just get to do their piece of it. Now, they're not entirely to blame because these young people have grown up with phone-toting parents who are emotionally absent. And you've seen it out on the playground, parents just doing that. And you've seen it at the school play. Their phone goes off. They have to get it. And uh, dinner time, you know, you've seen people at the restaurant. So everybody is so distracted by their online lives, they're forgetting to live their actual lives. You know, the one that matters, uh, the one the Bible says is short, the one that uh, God says you're going to have to give an account for when it's all over. 
Uh, Did you know that for the first time in history, phone companies have reported customers no longer use their allotment of minutes for actual speaking, but instead it's all text and data. That's what everybody's phone bill is for anymore. In other words, for the first time in history, we are living our lives predominantly virtually. Many of us are swapping out friendships for superficial fans and artificial followers and substituting short-typed comments for full-blown conversations. And I read an article this week where author um, Mitchell Kalpakjian, however you say that, Mitchell, if you're watching, you're not, but I tried, okay? So Kalpakjian. Anyway, he wrote, When genuine conversation flourishes... Wit, banter, and repartee fill the air. Ideas are exchanged and clarified. Wisdom and prudence appear. Conversation expands the heart, nourishes the mind, and refreshes the spirit. For man, by nature, is a social animal who desires to know. I'm presuming that Mitchell does not ascribe to the idea that we were created by God in his image because he describes us as animals, but are we not social creatures? Did God not say when he created us that it is not good for man to be alone? Did God not say that we're made in his image, an image that has always been Trinitarian? I don't uh, venture to describe how that happens, but has God not always been three in one? Has God not always been a speaking God? When He creates, it's all with His words. He has conversations. I've read through this Bible a few times now, and never do I find God writing letters, putting them in a bottle, and casting them out to sea, hoping somebody will find them. No, God shows up, God speaks. You know, in today's world, God's not sending emails. He actually speaks to you. And what I'm trying to help you understand is that you were created by God for face-to-face dialogue and intimate interactions with real human beings. And listen to me, these conversations that you're supposed to be having are especially important in times of conflict or confusion. I'll be so bold as to say that almost every one of your problems that you're having in life right now could be solved if you would just be able to learn how to have open, meaningful, ongoing dialogue. Every problem solved if you just learned how to talk in a helpful way. I know this because I'm old enough to remember a time when email wasn't a thing and texting wasn't a thing. And if you had a problem, you had to go to somebody and actually have a real conversation without the help of Google or Siri. And I'm old enough to know what it's like to have a conversation with someone when at the end of it, you're like, well, what do you mean by that? I'm not sure I'm understanding how you're phrasing your words. But I'm also young enough to know what it's like to get a text or get an email where you're like, what? Wait, no. Oh, no, they didn't. And then so you start responding back and you start texting them and they're like, oh, what do they mean by that? There's nothing. So then they start typing back and then you get the little dots on your phone. You're like, well, I'll wait for the dots to disappear before I start responding back to what they're going to say. But then the dots never disappear because they're like, they're always typing. And you're like, finally run into them at the grocery store. And you're like, I know you're still typing. The dots were on my phone. And 
they're, they're up, what are you even saying? And I'm young enough to have, you know, those conversations where you're like, what did you even mean by that? Because you're reading into a text or you're reading into an email and we misinterpret so much of what people type because there's no context in technology. You're putting your own emotional slant on whatever it is. Uh, In related news, I uh, heard on the radio this week that a college in Michigan has forbidden their professors from typing communication to their students in all caps. Students were complaining because they felt like the professors were yelling at them if it was all caps. Are you serious, Michigan? Like, this is what the world has come to. It's probably why you haven't had a competitive sports franchise in, what, you know, a a decade. Michigan. I digress. We've been in this series called The Lost Art. Last week was The Lost Art of Work. Today, I want to speak to you on The Lost Art of Conversation. Uh, We need to learn how to communicate, and in our world, it's very much a lost art. I want to show you this in Scripture, but first, jot this down. In order to rediscover the lost art of conversation, we have to learn to talk to people, not about people. Uh, If you're going to solve these problems in your life, you've got to learn to talk to people, not about people. Uh, God actually models this for us in Numbers chapter 12. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Go ahead and grab it. Very first book in your Bible is Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You need the big number 12. While you're getting there, a little background will be helpful for what's happening in the Scripture. Roughly 4,000 years ago, a group of people, about a million of them, were living in Egypt. But they were slaves. They had been slaves for 400 years. Uh, These slaves, known as Hebrews or Israelites, had been chosen by God to be witnesses to the rest of the world with, with Uh, regards to what happens when you follow God. These were his chosen people meant to paint uh, a picture to the rest of the world of what will happen when you follow and worship God. Now, in fairness to the rest of the world, who wants to follow a God who allows his people to be enslaved? Nobody. So God raises up Moses and his brother Aaron and their sister Miriam to rescue the Israelites from slavery. And through a series of miraculous events known as plagues, God brings these Jews out of slavery. He starts leading them to a land where where they can worship God freely and openly. However, during this journey, things do not go as planned. The people do not follow God the way they're supposed to, so the journey ends up taking much longer than it should have. Because of that, Moses' wife dies along the way which obviously that's not super great, but in God's providence, Moses ends up getting remarried. However, Moses' family does not take too kindly to this new woman in Moses' life. And they do what most people in our world do. When they see things they don't like, they start to gossip. They start to talk about it. And uh, God does not take too kindly to that. Watch this. While they were at Hazaroth, that's a town, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. Just for the record, there's nothing forbidden Moses to do that. 
There's no law saying that uh, he was not allowed to marry someone from there. It's not a sin. Uh, They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 3. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Who wrote this book? Moses. What? What? Thank you, Moses, for writing that about yourself. Humility. Uh, I didn't share this in first service, so you guys are lucky, but... Uh, I officiate basketball, as many of you know, and uh, the other day I was officiating a junior high game. And as junior high folks do, they can't shoot. They got a ball stuck between the backboard and the rim. Now, I grew up playing basketball. I had no problem dunking a basketball, right? I mean, I could do a lot of amazing things in the air, speaking of humility. Uh, So I was just like, well, I'll just jump up there and, and knock the ball out. So I jump, nope, uh, miss. So that's embarrassing. And I was like, well, what what happened? I mean, I could dunk easily. So I go at it again. I nick the ball. It does not move. It stays in the rim. And I'm looking at my partner like, brother, help me out here. Do something to get this ball out. He goes and gets a ball. We knock it down. Worst part of the story I'm officiating at my wife's school where she coaches junior high girls basketball. She is there watching this display of athleticism. And then all of her girls know who I am. And they're like, good job, Landon, way to get... Just brutal. God will teach you humility is my point in sharing that with you. I thought you could appreciate that. Verse 4. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, exclamation point, uh uh-oh, Michigan. He called and they stepped forward. And the Lord said to them, Now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I wish we had time to talk about how the question of the day maybe is not, can you trust God? It's, can God trust you? Uh, Of all the people in the Israelite camp, the million plus, Moses was the one that God could trust. Verse 8, I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Uh, Side note, when you live out your calling, you will always face criticism from people who have given up on theirs. Um, So if you're being criticized, take heart. The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, he cried out to Moses, O my master, please don't punish us for this sin we have so foolishly committed. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O God, I beg you, please heal her. But the Lord said to Moses, Keep her outside the camp for seven days, and after that she may be accepted back. So Miriam was kept outside camp for seven days, and the people waited until she was brought back before they traveled again. You see, sin is always a cause for holding back the progress of God's people. 
Again, I wish we had time to talk about how if you're not making progress in life, you might have unconfessed sin in your life because your sin never affects just you. Your sin always affects the people around you. Uh, But we don't have time for that. We're trying to learn the lost art of conversation. We're trying to learn how to talk to people, not about people. And you can see there that we have a conflict. Miriam and Aaron are criticizing Moses. They're talking about him. They're not talking to him. And uh, is, they're saying, is Moses really that big of a deal? Doesn't God speak to us too? Which, yes, he does. But it's worth uh, drawing your attention to verse 2 because when the Bible records for us the words, they said uh, it's actually using a feminine tense. You could argue that by they, the Bible means Miriam. Uh, Miriam is the one who started the gossip about Moses. And she was talking with Aaron. And Aaron was just kind of like there, like, oh, yeah, girl. Like, "Mm, that's right. I hear what you're saying about Moses. And it's not a stretch for us to believe that because who's the one who's punished in the end? Miriam. She ends up with leprosy. Is that merely a coincidence that uh, the Bible is using a feminine tense to talk about these things? Maybe But before I ever preach a message, I always bring a group of people in to my office and just walk them through what I'm going to talk about, uh, which anybody's allowed to come to that, by the way. Uh, But this week I had three women in my office and was asking them if anything was confusing or missing or whatever. And they all agreed that in their experience, gossip is far more difficult for women to avoid. Uh, which I'm not trying to pick on the ladies, but even science has drawn this same conclusion. There are studies being conducted right now that show women are far more likely to engage in gossip than are men. According to a paper in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology, uh, gossip can serve as a weapon that women use against each other. The broad finding in the article was that women are far more likely to gossip as in share reputation damaging information or withhold positive information about other women whom they perceive to be a threat directly or indirectly. Uh, And you've seen this, especially in junior high. Uh, The junior high girls can just be flat out mean to one another and they use their words to uh, harm each other. He makes it clear, or this journal makes it clear, that it's also withholding something good. So you don't just be nice for the sake of being nice. That can also be uh, a gossip. Uh, but we know that this gossip in, in girls, it takes place way earlier. Not the being mean part, but you know if you have young girls or raised young girls, you've seen how they use their words and emotions to kind of navigate the difficulties in life. It's not what boys do. What do boys do? They use wrestling, physical aggression, whatever it is, violence to, to get through their conflicts. Uh, it's probably why Proverbs 27 in your Bible says, A constant dripping on a rainy day and a cranky woman are much alike. You can no more stop her complaints than you can stop the wind or hold on to anything with greasy hands. <clears throat> Not me saying that. The Bible saying that, okay? Uh, husbands, I might not point that out later to your wife, but whatever. Uh, Paul, when he's writing a letter to a church planter in Timothy, he writes this. Widows with nothing to do, women with nothing to do, 
Learn to be idlers going about from house to house, not only idlers, idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. Uh, Again, it's a problem, but lest you think I'm trying to uh, degrade women or be too hard on the women, I also need to point out the reason women typically have to talk so much is because men are typically too cowardly to open their mouths. You saw this way back with Adam who like a buffoon is standing next to his wife as she is engaging in conversation with a snake and he's too much of a coward to snatch that snake out of the tree and rip its face off and say, what are you doing talking to my wife, snake? Uh, And I I don't know if that's how the conversation would go. I just picture that (laughs) as how I would make it go. Uh, But so you see the, the women's natural inclination is to try and control the situation with their words Whereas men's natural inclination is to be passive and sit idly by and say nothing. And listen to me, both are sinful. Gossip and sitting idly by. Both are a result of you not following God. Men, you not talking is just as abhorrent to God as women gossiping so much. That being said, what do we do? How do we talk to people, not about people? Is there a way to tell your boss your real concerns and not insult or offend them? Is there a way to talk to your spouse about their behavior and not come across as self-righteous or demanding? Is there a way to talk through finances and not get into an argument? Is there a way to tell your friend that they were hurtful? Yes. Yes. But it's not going to be easy. This is going to take courage. It's going to take resolve. Uh, It's probably why in the Bible it records for us over 360 times, one for every day, God saying, be of good courage. Do not be afraid. Take heart. This is what God is trying to get you to do. Uh, Because I've never met a courageous cynic, somebody who just wants to talk about everybody and not to anybody. Um, And so you need to realize that you cannot do any of the following steps unless you have in your mind the resolve to step up. And so what's modeled for us here with regards to conversation specifically, what does God model for us? Well, first of all, you have to run toward the conflict. Jot that down. If you're going to get better at conversation, you have to be willing to confront the problem. You have to be willing to go to the situation. You can see there in verse 4, God does not waste any time. Immediately, he brings all the parties together. He doesn't avoid the controversy, just hoping things are going to work out. And the mistake most of us make in resisting conversation is that we believe we have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. It's not true. You can do both. You don't have to agree with someone uh, in order to appreciate them. Uh, watch this, Matthew eighteen fifteen. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Now, why does Jesus make that distinction here? Because if you read on in that verse, it's going to say if they don't listen to you, you need to bring a group of people and then talk to them again. So why don't you just start with multiple people to begin with? In our story, how come God just shows up and speaks to these three specifically, even though it's likely there's a lot more people in the camp 
having conversations and spreading gossip uh, than just them. And I think the reason is because going in alone forces you to examine your motives. Anytime you need to engage somebody in conversation, the first thing you should ask myself or ask yourself is what's my motivation? Is it to prove myself right? Is it to make them look foolish? Is it to get something said, not necessarily heard, because there's a difference, and you just need to get something off your chest? And if your motive is not to work out a helpful resolution, then you're not ready for the conversation. Now, I'd also like to acknowledge that going by yourself isn't necessarily the first step. If you were assaulted or victimized, I'm not advocating going and having a conversation with your perpetrator and your abuser trying to work things out. Uh, In some cases, the first conversation you need to have is with the police. And so hear me, there's a time to talk to somebody and there's a time to talk about somebody. And sometimes you need to go talk about somebody with the police in order to have a conversation, uh, find its resolution. In both cases, it's still going to take courage to start the conversation. Furthermore, this passage says, if your brother, Matthew eighteen fifteen sins against you, you have the conversation. Nowadays, a lot of people want to interject themselves into situations that don't involve them at all. Sometimes you just need to stay out of it. But again, asterisk, if somebody else's life is at danger or they're not willing you know, to confront a situation and you need to uh, help them out for safety's sake, then uh, maybe get involved. But again, there's a time to get involved. There's a time to mind your own business. Uh, Y'all ever watch that show, What Would You Do? Uh, where they uh, bring people into like a restaurant and they set up you know, this dramatic scene and uh, they make the waiter like be super sarcastic or they make the people ordering food be like super racist and uh, almost everybody on that show nobody's willing to engage in the conversation they just cower down behind their mirror like are you seeing what's going on over there and they're like talking about it to each other but nobody almost nobody ever goes and engages in the situation and that's what I'm getting at you've got to run towards the conflict be brave because here's just the truth of it we live in a world where nobody is thinking about you Everybody's too busy thinking about themselves. So more often than not, people have no idea they've offended you because they're too busy living their own life, thinking about themselves. And what happened to you is just poisoning you on the inside, and you wonder, how can they be known not so nonchalant, so indifferent to me in my situation? Because they have no idea what's going on, which is why, number two, you have to address the problem quickly and honestly. You have to run towards the conflict and then address it quickly and honestly. Truth in love is how the Bible would describe that. But God doesn't waste any time. Again, it says immediately he brings them together. He says, why were you not afraid to criticize my man Moses? God says the same thing to us in Ephesians 4.26 when he instructs Paul to write, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, don't waste time. Uh, Dr. Samuel Johnson was a, a Puritan writer in England a long time ago, but he has some helpful advice on this. He writes, Thus, good conversation at its best restores common sense and cures folly. 
dispelling exaggerations, cliches, and silly ideas by its sobriety. When you're speaking with a sober mind, it's going to help clear up conversations and uh, exaggerations. He continues, good conversation clears the mind of cant and stops a person from thinking foolishly. Too many people in our world right now are thinking foolishly. They're reliving the conversation and it never actually took place the way they're remembering it. Or it's not taking place in a way the other person intended it. And you need to get sober-minded and actually engage in a conversation. If, if Samuel Johnson was alive today, he'd write, Don't rush to post your opinions online. Don't be so quick to assume everything you read online is true. Never criticize someone you've never actually talked to. Come on, somebody. You see that all the time. Uh, you realize that there's always two sides to every story. And if I learned anything this week is that a video camera rarely provides context. And you all know what I'm talking about. You saw the whole deal in Washington, D.C., and this student uh, being at this rally. And uh, you read about how people were literally calling for this student, his high school, to be burned down with him inside it. That's what people are saying. Come to find out, he's the one that was being criticized. And he was the one that had insults being yelled at him. If you got to see the whole video, you'd see this. And this Native American drummer comes over to try and de-escalate the situation. But that's the only thing that you saw. Why? Because drama sells. And it incites people to ridiculous action. Uh, but you need to have an actual conversation and figure out what really is happening. So as much as you hear me say, address the problem quickly and honestly, also hear me repeat, stay out of a problem that's not yours. Coming from nine years of coaching and working around the public school system, in my experience, Almost every single parent that I've come across is not doing our kids any favors when it comes to teaching them how to interact in the world. Uh, everybody just wants to solve problems for their kids. We got parents going to job interviews, sitting in the interview with their children. That's not okay. It probably took place in Michigan. I get that, but still. <laughs> Stop holding your kids' hands through life. You know, cut the cord. Moving on. Number three, listen intently. If you genuinely want to have meaningful dialogue, you have to listen intently. If you're from Michigan, I apologize, okay? <laughs> Hear me say that. If you're guest with us, I love, I love Michigan, okay? Now, in our story, Aaron and Miriam didn't really have much of a choice when it says to listen, because God says, listen, and what else are you going to do uh, when God says, listen to me? But it's why James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Why does it say that? Because when you're angry and your adrenaline does all of your thinking, your motives will change with no conscious effort. Uh, science has shown this. Because of the world that we live in with technology, they can hook your brain up. They've shown that when your adrenaline, your heart rate, and everything starts rising, the part of your brain that controls uh, just being normal, it shuts off. 
and you can't engage in a real life interaction because you're no longer listening to be helpful. You're listening to form a defense. You're listening to keep score. And you're listening to try and trap the other person. You talk about, well, 18 years ago, you said this wasn't, and you're like, what? Like, stop. Just listen to what I'm trying to say. I found this quote useful. The key to becoming an effective conversationalist, which is what we're trying to do, seems to lie in understanding the people with whom we are conversing. We need to discover their interests and their needs. And only then, when we've heard what they're trying to say, do we fashion our words with such grace and care that people will find them thoughtful and helpful. Here's what I know for certain. You can't do any of that, being helpful or uh, thoughtful, can't do any of that via text. Even if you include an emoji, smiley face, no. You have to actually go and have good conversation face-to-face, and it depends on you having a relationship of mutual respect. Proverbs twelve sixteen: A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. Which means, even if they say something dumb, overlook it. If you're in this with humility, you won't take everything so seriously. Again, might I point out verse 3? That Moses was humble in this situation. Humility has to drive these crucial conversations. People take, the, take things way too seriously anymore. When it's not at all what people are even trying to get at. They just maybe weren't the best at articulating it. Overlook the insult. If you're following God, he'll take up your defense. Right? This is what's modeled for us here. God's the one who shows up and takes up Moses' defense. But last thing, after running toward the conflict, addressing it quickly and honestly, listening intently with a humble attitude, what does this lead to? Ideally, a solution. You need to help determine that solution. Which, look, what was God's solution? Walking away. That might be the solution that you need to take. If someone's being unreasonable and they have no interest in restoring the relationship, you might need to walk away. If you find your adrenaline kicking in and anger kicking in, you might need to say, I want to talk about this, but I need a little bit of time first. And then you walk away. Uh, Romans twelve eighteen. what's it say? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Sometimes that's not possible. But if it's as possible as it depends on you, then live at peace. Now, what was Moses' solution? Uh, His response was to forgive. Uh, That's how he worked all of this out, to forgive Aaron and Miriam. What was Aaron's solution? It was to ask for forgiveness. Either one of those might be your response. If you've hurt somebody, you might need to ask them to forgive you. And if you've been hurt by someone you might need to engage in a conversation that hopefully leads to that person asking for uh, you to forgive them. But even if they don't, you should still, in your heart, resolve to forgive them. Or like Miriam, you might have to deal with the consequences because that's a legitimate response to the solu- uh, to a legitimate solution to the situation as well. 
that she was uh, struck with leprosy. There might be consequences to some of the decisions that you have made, but you've got to determine a solution that's reasonable that works for both parties. Now, that being said, you need to hear me say this. The reason these steps don't always work is because very few people are willing to admit that they are the problem. Very few people are willing to make their faults and take them as seriously as God takes them. Verse 9 says, The Lord was very angry with Miriam and Aaron. And if you read on in Old Testament, you'll find God literally killing people. Uh, In the New Testament, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, when they lied, they used their words, God killed them. Uh, God struck Zechariah mute when he was careless with his words to an angel. And so my question for you as we get ready to wrap up this morning is this. Do you take your sin as seriously as God does? Because he took it so seriously that it required the death of his son on a cross. Uh, Your sin was so serious that only after Jesus was humiliated and beaten uh, that they hung him on a cross naked. You don't see that in the movies, do you? But you need to know that that's typically how they crucified criminals in the day, hung them there naked. And your sin was so abhorrent to God that it required his perfect son, Jesus, to hang on a cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And every time he had to breathe, he had to use the weight of his body to push up on those nails until he suffocated to death or just bled out. In either case, it was your sin that held him there. And God takes your sins so seriously that he had to make a way for you to be restored in a relationship with him. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You earn death by sinning. And it says that all of us have sinned. None of us are perfect. None of us have done uh, everything right. And so we need to figure out how to make a payment. But because Jesus beat death, his payment is for you. Paid in full. Can I hear a better amen than that? This is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus took your penalty that was deserved to you. My biggest fear for people in this room is that they will talk about God and not learn how to talk to God. So as much as you hear me say, we've got to learn how to talk to people, not about people, it all starts with talking to God not about him. Most people want to defend their actions and say, well, God could never forgive me. I'm too far gone. and God could never be real because of such and such. And they do want to, you know, work through scripture and they want to talk about God. And very few people will actually get in a place in life where they'll experience life with God and be led by him. You know, the reason Jesus died on the cross was not to be a part of your life. It was to be king of your heart is to be Lord of your life. And partial obedience is disobedience. And too many people are just going through life talking about God and they want to talk about His attributes and all of these things. And very few people will taste and see that the Lord is good. My prayer for everybody in this room is that God will reveal Himself to you. That your life will be changed. That you'll experience His mercies new every single morning. It's going to take humility.
So with every head bowed, every eye closed, let's just pray to God to do what only He can do. Change our lives. Make Himself known to You. God, we love You. We praise You. We've come to hear from You. So again, I'm asking You to do what only You can do and just open up our hearts, open up our minds, help us see clearly what you brought us here to teach us today. Some of you need to have a conversation with somebody. God's bringing that person to your mind right now. He's asking you to engage in a crucial conversation. Life's too short not to go through with this. For others of you, God's speaking to you right now because you've never actually committed your life to Him. He's trying to draw you into the family. So if that's you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Because you can't do any of the things that we've been talking about without Jesus in your life. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. So I just want to give you a chance to do that. To say, God, I believe in your son Jesus and that he died for me. Because of that, I can be made new. Forgive me. Help me live for you. God, I just thank you for that free gift of salvation through your son Jesus that has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And that we can now live for you in obedience to you and spend an eternity with you. Help us not to be afraid to engage in conversation and live our life with truth and love. We ask all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.